Blessed Lord, who has caused all holy scriptures written for our learning, grant we may in such wise hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of thy holy word, we may embrace, never hold fast, the blessed hope of everlasting life, which has given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Yeah, Victoria, she comes in mid-class, and yeah. we'll, uh, we'll, we'll say happy birthday, and everyone have a cookie or a scone at that point. Ooh, so, and coffee. And coffee, yeah. yeah so. <laughs> oh, how great. I didn't know it was her birthday. I didn't know either, but... Uh, wow. so. uh, um, my wife didn't know, and so she she got these and dropped them That's off. Nice. So, That's nice. She's 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 the thoughtful one in our family. I'm thoughtful in different ways. Yeah, I can't, I can't pull good. out two two boxes of scones and so if I could put them out, I could do that. So. All right, well, we're, we're jumping into Psalm 7 today, um, and uh, Psalm 7 has a little bit of, a, of, a, of an interesting or different focus in that it, um, it it's a psalm in which the psalmist uh, makes reference to his own innocence, and so... Um, It'll it'll give us a new direction on or a new uh, a new um, I don't know, maybe not direction but maybe a challenge in how to read this as our own prayer in the light of what we talked about the spiritual battle and this being the prayer of Christ which makes perfect sense but how then it does become our prayer uh, by virtue of the moral distinction between his. Uh, completion in our own, so we can we take a look at that as we go through it. So let's just jump in. Um, Psalm 7, verse 1. O Lord my God, in you I put my trust. Save me from all those who persecute me and deliver me. Lest they tear me like a lion, rending me in pieces while there is none to deliver now, there's always a little bit of this problem in reading the Psalms that, you know, they're, they're, uh, the Psalmist at times can uh, always being pleading for deliverance, you know, can, can seem, seem a little, I don't know, even paranoid, you know, you know and, and so uh, we always have to be um, aware of how this is situated in the spiritual battle for us. So two levels that we can approach this, this particular passage today. One is um, in the spiritual battle, even when we're not aware that there are things, there are things. The awareness of of the, the what what the in, as a virtue in the New Testament, the awareness is called watchfulness, and watchfulness is a spiritual awareness of what's really going on. You know, you pick a fight with me, I win the fight, and oh, wait a minute, I'm, there's an anger temptation here, and I, I'm respond, I'm tempted now to react, so that, that's, that's, um, and only, only by looking at life in that larger perspective, this something we'll pick up a little bit on Sunday, because we have um, Ephesians, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers for our epistle. But there's that spiritual battle. But then, more particularly in terms of Psalm 7, it seems like because when we get to the the um, the psalm, the psalmist's plea or contention, he is innocent and therefore God should listen, um, this seems to um, fit really into the passion narrative. This really, really fits into a psalm that plays out the narrative of Good Friday, working towards Easter. And so, save me from all those who persecute me, lest they carry me like a lion, rending me in pieces while there's none to deliver. We can envision, and sort of a, a big picture of what, of, of what the spiritual life is like, but only walking to the cross and all these adversaries and asking God to, to keep him through that and, and, to, and then to vindicate him through that. And in a certain you know, in a, a, as we'll connect this, an important part about this, therefore, is 
as he's asking God to deliver him, let's say the psalm prayed at the beginning of the way of the cross, mm-hmm. how does that deliverance come and how does it not come? Does God immediately answer him and deliver him? No. He's still carrying the cross. Right. The adversaries are still... So the prayer is not going to result in people not yelling at him and mocking right. him. How? What is the deliverance then? If if that's a prayer, how does how does it, how is it experienced? Resurrection. Okay, but let's let's. Um, so what? Um, um, So as he's walking to the cross, to the to the cross, and before the resurrection, how does God? He's not taking the, the things away, but how does God deliver him in the moments before the resurrection? Are you, are you talking as as he's walking to the to be crucified? Okay, so let's, let's, Simon let's think, comes. Let's think of this as a as a metaphor for the entire yeah, Christian life. Okay. Huh? Yeah. No. But so he sends it, si, the uh, Simon, the Cyrenian, or to okay. carry the cross for him. So he has someone who okay. goes through yes, that I'm, process with him. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, the seven station. I mean, more not not just seven, but what is essential to his ultimate vindication? That he sends not. Perseveres sends not. Anyway. So mm-hmm. that he does not sin, sin that he does right, not right. sin. So well, on the way to the cross, there are some real temptations there. Oh, yeah. You're the son of God. It reminds me of, of David walking out of the royal palace. <laughs> He's accepting that, and this is it's an interesting connection. Uh, the story of David when he leaves the royal palace, went after you know his sin and Absalom's rebellion, and Nathan tells him this is going to happen. And David says, okay, all right, I'm going to have to walk this way. I'm, I'm leaving the palace. I'm going to leave the city. And he's walking out with his mighty men and, and some jackass, eh, you murderer, you. And, and, and Joab, you know, his general says, let me go cut his head off. Mm-hmm. But David says, no. no. So the deliverance before the the actual resurrection seems to be caught up in the idea that he preserves us and preserve Christ and us therefore in our innocence as we're facing the temptation because that's the thing that gives the assurance of the ultimate vindication it's not just hey get me out of here it's save me from the temptation to strike back to act unjustly in relationship to um to um, those who persecute me so that I maintain my innocence even as they prove their guilt. So both Christ and David had had a, they already had the big picture as they were going on this, this journey. So that would help them keep focused and not be not be thwarted on their road during the temptations because they could experience the big picture of God's grace. And I, 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 I'm, I'm persuaded now that, that David's leaving the royal palace and his season of embracing the discipline God put upon him for his, mm-hmm. his sin is not, you know, a lot of people like, oh, David was God's chosen, and then he did this bad thing, so it was never again the same as all that. I think that's a misreading. I think mm-hmm. what we really get in David is the image of the perfect penitent. Mm-hmm. That that he, uh, uh, and, and that, that the God forgives a murderer and an adulterer, and, and, and when he gets the sentence, he fully embraces it. Whatever God is going to lay upon me, I'm going to, I'm right. going to accept. And I'm not going to strike back. That's a hard thing, isn't it? No, so, I think that would be easy not to strike back at God. No, but in our life. But they but the voices come through yeah. people. 
Yeah. Right. So it's not it's not easy not to strike. You know, mm-hmm. it's not easy not to strike back at people who are criticizing to you. People, and, but you got it. But th- but that's the point. It's just, it's mm-hmm. you can't separate those things out. Your innocence in relationship to God is your innocence in relationship to all the people around you. You cannot stay. That's the that's so. I guess my point here on the on this verse when he when he saved me. Yes, it is the ultimate resurrection. But that only happens, that only happens if he holds on to God throughout yes. and, and is saved from sin and disobedience on the way. And it takes an entire lifetime to learn that. And, and failure and, oh yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And get back up. Bishop, I found that, that you sharing this, because you've shared it a few times about the humility of David and accepting that. I found that really helpful because I'd never thought about that before. And sometimes we're trying to get away from, you know, the consequences of our own sin rather than go, okay, God, you know, you're teaching me something through this. You're disciplining, disciplining me. So I just, I found that so helpful. Um, I just want to say that to really meditate on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I found it helpful because I've come to it really through 40 years of writing daily offices. You keep hitting this David story <laughs> about the 40th time through, you Something get the point. Something scriptural about that 40. Yeah. 40 years. Um, because, and the reason we don't want to see that is that... Um, we, we want to kind of run from David in that the ugliness of sin, but we also want to run for ourselves and the parts that have sin, uh, of, that have done things we don't want to face. We just want to okay, we're forgiven, we move on. We don't want to embrace fully, uh, what, uh, and that and that's what keeps a lot of people from spiritual growth is the um, unwillingness not to believe that God can forgive but the unwillingness to embrace the parts of themselves that, that, that contain very dark things and bring them back into, in, and let Christ heal that. We like to have it go away. Mm-hmm. Never to return. Never return. Part, part of forgiveness to yeah. go away. <laughs> and that's what, um, it was, it was actually Father Joe Miller, who used to be around here for a while, who was uh priest who came to us and hung with us and had a good ministry here, he, he made the point that David is the first man in the Bible to make a good confession. You, you, it's not like, but you just have nobody, he's really the first one who says, yeah, I did this thing. So, um, Yeah, everybody else blamed it on somebody else. So, um, and notice here, um, it's interesting uh, that, uh, is that locked? Yeah. Okay, we must, it's good before I get to my next point, you must take a quick break and we must sing happy birthday to somebody. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> As you know, my wife is not going to let you get away with that. She's brought uh, cookies and scones. So who, who's got, who has, um, who can carry a tune here? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Victoria. Happy birthday to you. Give a, give a virtual hug to everyone on the... Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, 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 yeah, oh, happy birthday. Oh, happy birthday, my friend. Oh, happy birthday. Thank you, thank you. Got something on the table. Yes. What do you want? Or whatever. Right. Just you. Uh, so pass, uh, open those up, pass them around. We'll keep you the bottom. I have to get a little water here. And we'll, uh, yeah, they're really sorry. Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I think.
piece last week. Where the, not only is it bad not to be there, but it, now we're missing some really good things. It's not the same. Right. No, right. 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 I just thought it was easier staying home. <laughs> <laughs> this might be the way to compel in-person attendance is to make them like, you know, Lazarus sitting by the rich man's table desiring yeah. to be fed with crumbs. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So, oh my gosh. Oh. <laughs> oh, oh, sorry. I mean, the gravity. That's okay. That's okay. Thank you. I'm excited. Okay. There's more now. Hmm. Mm. 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 So, what are you looking for? Did Nancy make these? No. Yeah, and, and, and put them in Panera boxes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, these look like homemade. Yeah, they look a little better than Yeah, they don't look like. Um, they don't look like. Actually, Nancy makes right. these seven layer bars that are better than those. Oh, yeah. Those are great. We have those ones all day. Those health bars that she makes. Those health bars, that's right. Yeah. Health bars. <laughs> health bars. Yeah. Ooh, look. Oh, yum. That's mm. fun. Who's that? We pray for deliverance. Look what happened. So, um, getting back to our psalm here. Um, so, casting this in terms of the spiritual battle, this is, again, a theme I'm going to pick up on Sunday, where the idea that the real battle isn't the one you see, but it's the one that's operating within the one you see. And so, the real battle for, for Jesus was not to escape the cross, but to remain faithful and resist all temptation to be pulled out of the way of the cross, so as to persevere to the end of his vindication. And this this last the, ver, the last part of that um, verse 2, lest they tear me like a lion, rending me in pieces while there's none to deliver. Um, there's a verse in the New Testament where St. Peter says, uh, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary is the devil, as a roaring lion walks about seeking whom he may devour. Uh, and we have a direct connection there. I also think that the image of that is um, taken from Job. Mm -hmm. Because at the beginning of Job, when the sons of God appear before God to, to chat and Satan shows up, um, he says, where have you been? He says, well, I've been walking to and fro on the earth, roaming about. Um, and, and, and notice how he... Um, and this is very important to the to the perspective of the Psalms and really of the Christian life. What is it that the um sorry what is it um that the devil attempts to do to Job? What's what is the temptation for Job? To, to give up. To curse God. So what would that, that, okay, so that would be to, what would that sin, be? To sin, to lead that, righteousness, to, to sin, not to give up. To give up, to, mm -hmm. to, 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 to renounce faith in God, mm -hmm. cursing God would be to say, to, to, to give up. Yeah, give up. So notice that the temptation for, for um, and that's always the root of demonic temptation, it's never... Demonic temptation is never just about getting you to do some sinful thing. <laughs> that's the world of the flesh. Mm. I mean, that's getting into that and devil uses that. Then having done that, mm -hmm. it's that the de that the tempter becomes the accuser mm -hmm. and begins to say, oh, you pathetic. Mm -hmm. Hey, you want to go back again? Talk to God about this? And, and the despair, yeah, and that's how that's how people get torn apart by temptation, not by again the surface um, temptation of the surface 
sin. Mm. But but then the, the subsequent belief that I'm too bad now to be forgiven, there is no hope for me, so I'm going to give up. It's an important distinction, right? There. And everybody, I think probably everybody, has times in their lives when they feel like giving up. I mean, I don't know about everybody, I know about me, but, mm-hmm. you know, there's... There is that temptation. That you know, it's ultimately the the um, suicide impulse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. There's no hope for me, mm-hmm. and and, mm-hmm. and 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 so the pain is so bad that the best way to do is just get out of it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which is us playing God again, taking it into our own hands. And and so so notice then therefore that that, that the, the quintessential position there for the spiritual life is um, faithfulness through the suffering, holding on to God through it. Yeah. And we need God to to be with us in it, which is of course the essence of Jesus being Emmanuel, God with us. Um, so that 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 uh, He will sustain us through that. So then we go on to verse three. O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there is iniquity in my hands, if I have repaid evil to him who is at peace with me, or plundered my enemy without a cause, let the enemy pursue me and overtake me. Yes, let him trample my life to the earth and lay me honor in the dust. So all of a sudden now, I mean, we, we, we understand we're praying for deliverance from the enemy who is going to devour us. But now a case is being made that's harder for us to. Um, have you ever, in your prayer, bargained with God the basis that, you know, show me what's wrong. <laughs> Vindicate me because I haven't done anything wrong, <laughs> which is essentially what's being happening here. Um, so how do we, how, how can that apply to us? I'm going to say it, I'll say it in a different way. How does it? Because there is a way that, that we have, that, that I think we... He's not saying he's innocent. And in, in the way I'm reading it, it's like, if, if I have repaid evil to him who was at peace with me, or I have plundered my enemy without cause. So there's a threefold parallelism yeah. right there. Uh, if there's iniquity in my hands, mm-hmm. first parallel line, which is which is is lined up with repaid evil to him who is at peace with me, mm-hmm. or plundered my enemy without cause. Yeah. So a couple instances of 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 sin that he is not guilty of. Now, what's there is something even more deeply profound about that, right? Um, Because it's almost, in terms of the cross, both of those get turned around in a far more gracious and loving way. I say is so. Here it is: if I repaid evil to him, was at peace with me. Jesus is going to repay good to those who virulently desired his evil. And if 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 I was uh, if my enemy, if I plundered my enemy without a cause. Not only have I plundered, not plundered my enemy Jesus, he, I, I died for him. So the the the, the, the quantitative, and qua, yeah, the, the the movement forward in love that's revealed in Christ goes beyond this. It's not contrary to this. He's still innocent. That still applies to him. But actually, the the righteousness is you know far transcends what's what's envisioned even in the psalm here. So if that happens, then let the enemy pursue me, overtake me, trample my life to the earth, and lay my honor in the dust. If I am guilty. If I'm guilty. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to I, I want to uh, just look at a couple of verses in the New Testament. That I'll quote to you. You don't have to turn there unless you want to. But I, uh, the first one is First Corinthians chapter one, verse eight, and. Um, it says, uh, 
Well, I'll read the whole little section here at the beginning. I think this is an epistle we have for one of our Sundays. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which is given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him, in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So St. Paul said to the Corinthians that, that, that um, they have these gifts and he wants them to move forward looking for the coming of Christ and be blameless. So somehow that blamelessness seems to be a possibility. Mm-hmm. And Only through being forgiven. Only through Christ. He says, yeah. put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So like every day. So let's... Um, Which is how you're blameless, right? Mm-hmm. Let's go on to... Um, Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. Where, Saint, where he, he exhorts the community, do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God, without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Now, I would say here that this, this verse, um, I I'm completely agree that, that the blamelessness has to be rooted in forgiveness. We have to be... Uh, the guilt that, that, that we have that, that accrues to us because of our sin has to be done away with. But this verse suggests that blamelessness also requires the active activity of love. I must be about the business of, of um, acting outwardly towards others in accordance with that which I have received from God by faith. So this is why, um, you know, this, this whole idea of justification um, has been a big thing in the Western church since Reformation, since Martin Luther talked about justification by faith and not by words, and it's a timeless debate, which we're not going to enter into in those terms today. Uh, but here we should note that um, while uh, St. Paul is not suggesting to the Philippians that, that their, um, their efforts at, at uh, not grumbling and disputing will, sa- will save them, he is suggesting that, that their um, status with God is revealed more clearly in their actively loving behavior. And the idea that I'm saved and I have this insurance policy called salvation, while at the same time, you know, I'm difficult to everybody and and not looking at and, and not experiencing any real interior progress um, is really contrary to the spirit of the New Testament. And and so uh, and I would say here this is something that 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 um, we, we should think about in terms of justification that we're we're always justified before God by faith. I mean, we, we think about this experientially in our prayer. We come to our, you know, we come to the altar of God, and we're not we're not saying, God, you know, I did about ten good things this week, and I have communion now. You know, it's all <laughs> confession and Lord have mercy. But we always enter back into that relationship. But the manifestation of that relationship is always a progress in love. An awareness that I have received something that is that, that transforms me, so that now I go to my brothers and sisters and and work out and my enemies, which gets back to this and and love, because if if we're going to hold that person who's difficult with me accountable, but God just didn't really do that with me. I came back this week again, and I had been just as difficult last week as so. The desire, there's a kind of desire to to love more that um, 
that bears witness to our justification, our, our blamelessness. Even when we fall short of it and we come back and, and we grow in our self-understanding and, and all these kinds of things, we, we um, blamelessness as a state of life includes the activity of loving. And, and the behavior is a, is, a, is a sacramental sign of the reality of a thing. And that's, you know, it's what James says, I'll show you my faith by my works, you know, that you, uh, so. I think that class 101 that you're giving is, is a great chance to learn how, how to love people or even just to get to know them. People that you, you know, said hello to for decades and don't know a thing about them. Uh, it's, it's really an excellent thing. I wish I hadn't taken so long to be part of it. The, um, it's true that, you know, I, I think we, we excuse our failure to love people because we write people off on the basis of snap judgments. Mm -hmm. And we get to know people more, we go, oh, I didn't know that was what happened. No. And I think, I think it's a, um, I think it's a problem in the ministry of the church because a lot of um, Christianity has been a little bit transactional. Here's this gospel message. Do you believe it? Which means, does your mind assent to its truths? Okay, you're saved. Now we're, we're here. And, and we don't really know each other. And then when you have a real struggle, you can't really say it because everyone's, you know, they couldn't handle that, you know. So so there's not really the, the and, and, and I think this is why where the gospel does not resonate in our culture, because nobody's really interested anymore. And we, so if we're really going to be missionaries, we have to be willing, when people come, it's not, you, you know, we can't tell you about Jesus, but it has to start, well, you tell me about you. Because if you think about this, if you are a member of the body of Christ, and you invite someone to share their story with you, and you listen and maybe offer whatever. If Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, you've borne witness to how that's really true for somebody. Mm -hmm. But if we're always, you know, explaining things to people, but not not really listening to them, you know, who's this guy? You know, that's and that's why people think it. Think people think that people reject Jesus because the gospel isn't logical. It doesn't make sense. It, it, it's silly. The intellectual objections are always moral ones. It's like people didn't care there, so I don't care what they believe. So you bring up an, a good point on the meaning of witness. Evangelicals have co-opted that. Being a witness is to go out and and burden somebody with with the gospel, as opposed to being a witness like you're teaching is be a witness, listen. And I would I would say just to play this out. I mean, in this. There's no cookie cutter thing here. Obviously, some people have intellectual questions. They ask you, and you answer. It's not. It's but but the openness to to um, to embrace this person and not just to sell them a doctrine. But it's not that we don't want to tell people about Jesus in his death. But once we've heard a story and know someone, we can I can pray for you, and we can maybe draw them into the reality of forgiveness, what they feel guilty about, or 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 draw them into the reality experience, the very things we talk about in the Psalms about Christ's presence with us and our sufferings, and that then okay, yeah, that that kind of God, yeah, I, I who's touching my actual life, I think I've, I'm drawn to, but the kind of God who's always arguing with people and trying to convince them of things. And doesn't listen to anybody. That kind of God I'm not really interested in. So it does. It's not really about doctrine. Once people, yeah. I mean, a lot of people are just going to reject the gospel no matter what, because whatever. But a lot of times, it's there must be uh, some compelling evidence that something's different here. And we want to know what this is. It's it's amazing too. I I go to this physical therapy place and. I'm a visual person, so I want to see their name tags. And, and this one little gal said, 
how can we care about our names? And I said, because I pray for you. Mm. And she was like, I mean, she, I don't know whether she thought that was good or bad. A <laughs> <laughs> shock. And, and it's a very impersonal world we live in. I'm, I'm realizing this just, I don't know how, how many, there's so many examples. We don't live at a human scale anymore. Yeah. Everything's a process. And um, I, I think it's unraveling. Mm-hmm. I think it may actually collapse because it's, we're, we're, because it's, it's, it's in the service of efficiency and productivity right. and someone making a ton of money, people get run over. Yeah. And, um, but the church, I, you know, quite apart from, you know, yeah, I'm not culture yet, so I don't want to go there. I, I just <laughs> want to stay with, we need to work on being different as a church culture. Yeah. Where there's a priority on who on people who people are and what what they in giving them space to 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 which a different set of values that's a witness that's different. So, do you sure. remember that book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict? I sort mm-hmm. of think of that book. Yeah, I don't know if any of you remember that, but it yeah, was, I mean, it was yeah. so apologetically that right, it was all uh, apologetic. Yeah. So he's got a son who does some of the same stuff, and it's not. Um, I will say that. Um, Apologetics, that is, giving a defense of the faith in intellectual terms, is not unimportant. But it tends to be uh, an exercise that's mostly given for those who already believe. So, okay, I'm drawn into this relationship, and now I want to make sense out of it, and and I I read and I listen. But my experience is, other than um, there are uh, some... Some exceptions, nothing's universal. There are some people who, who really see all of life through a, an intellectual lens, a physicist or something, for whom, you know, an understanding of a truth in a new way might be, oh, I didn't see that before. But it's not normal that that uh, in, in the enterprise of evangelism that we sit down and explain, you know, here Jesus did these things, here's why it makes sense. And people say, wow. You've convinced me. I've never heard it that way before. I mean, <laughs> it's more that people experience the reality of God in some new way, a community, a relationship, a experience of prayer. I'm here. Tell me what that is. The experience of God in one way or another, in direct encounter, in personal relationship, in community, precedes the explanation. Because uh, this is something that that I've I've realized meditating further on, something Martin Thornton says in a book, Pastoral Theology, but but that our our theology explains our experience. And um, that's true of everybody. You ask them what they believe about life, if they're a cynic or whatever, it's because they've experienced disappointment, and their belief is, this is... This is why it's all that way. Mm-hmm. So to change the explanation of someone's life, they have to have a change of experience. And biblically, this plays out. Okay, St. Paul, pretty pretty convinced Pharisee, will experience on the road to Damascus. <laughs> and that, that experience required a new explanation. Yeah. What I heard before, what I believe before, didn't fit in what I, who I just met. Um, and even I would say in the history of the church, and this is something that's kind of the meditation is significant for me that, that um, you know, we say the Nicene Creed, and it's, it's a doctrine of the Trinity, and we need to believe that, and three persons, and, you know, and, and attack the heretics. But what, how did that develop? It developed out of the experience of the church over 300 years. So it is that... Um, you know, there's the incarnation. Okay, we, 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 here's this word was made flesh. And there's Pentecost. Okay, the spirit descends. And, and then we're worshiping. There's something called father. And there's something called son. And there's something called spirit. And the church was, was conscious in this Eucharistic gathering. They're worshiping, worshiping God the Father through Jesus Christ in the spirit. And then we say, well, how do we... How do we explain this thing we experience? Mm-hmm. And that's what the Nicene Creed is. 
Because people began to explain it the wrong way, which is heresy. Right. Always explain it the right way. But people make a mistake, therefore, to, to think if I explain the creed to you, it will give you the experience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's only once you've had the experience of, of union with God in Christ and the Spirit that, that oh, okay, this is this is the right way to explain it. And here's why the heresy is of you know not fully recognizing the divinity of Christ or humanity is a problem. And here's you know, Saul's kind of things. Okay. Now, one other uh, uh, blamelessness, a couple of blameless verses. So, 1 Thessalonians 3.12. Um, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless. And holiness before God and Father, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And notice what he says there, make you all abound and increase in love so that you may be blameless. The active working of charity is part of our blamelessness. It's not judicial. God sees us doing good. It's okay, that's a checkbox. It's an expression. It, it, it's outworking. We've been incorporated into the Trinity. We've been baptized into Christ by the Spirit. And so our love is just being who we are in Christ, loving. And if we're not doing that, we can say, well, what's the problem here? It's feeling loved by God that allows you to love others. And I think that's right. And I think this 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 is why prayer and one's own personal spiritual formation um, is the necessary foundation for outward. Mm-hmm. In as much as I've experienced God's grace in my own, yeah, I will... You can't give what you don't want. <laughs> well, I will say, I was thinking about it the other way. I've, I've heard someone else say the same thing, that, you know, there's this command, you should love your neighbor as yourself. Right. Um, I actually think that's a de- can also be taken as a declarative statement. You shall love your neighbor exactly oh, the same oh, way you love I yourself. Yeah. So that if your experience of uh, you don't really experience God's grace and love, you tend to be self-condemning, self-loathing, self-hating. Yeah, you'll be finding fault all over the place. Mm-hmm. But if you experience the grace of God in your own prayer, that will begin to be the way you you are to others. <laughs> And that's, I've seen that invariably. When, it helps to understand it because people get so critical. It's like, you know, we, when, when we yell at them, it's like, yeah, that, that's almost always a sign of self-loathing. Highly critical of others is almost always highly critical of self. But um, it gets back to the thing we talked about with um, the embracing of the dark parts of self. So um, if I push those dark parts away, my experiences and those painful emotions, the, uh, the, the, the angrier will leak out towards others. So you, it, in order to, to change that, you have to bring, you have to integrate that. You might have to, to experience, work through some experiences of extreme sadness and grief. And that's you. And when you realize Christ can sit, uh, there's interesting, I mean, it's a book I've been recommending to a lot of people. If this is very visceral, so I won't, um, if you don't like visceral, uh, intensely emotional books, don't get it. But, um, it's called a, a, a quiet mind to suffer with. Um, and it's by a guy named, uh, John Andrew Bryant. And it's a guy who had a mental breakdown and was diagnosed with OCD. And he talks about his journey through that, through his prayer. And the, the, pertaining to what I'm talking about here in terms of spiritual life, the profound thing he realized um, was that in his prayer was that he realized that Christ was not going to take his thoughts away, the dark ones. But he realized he wasn't Christ wasn't afraid of them, mm-hmm. and he could mm-hmm. be with them. He realized the thoughts weren't real, 
That is, they don't proclaim a truth. That doesn't mean they go away, but it means when the thoughts come, we don't have to believe them. Instead, we can hold on to Christ and weather the storm of what that is. But that's um, but 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 you know, often we try to push them away and deny them. And and they, they represent something that we'll have to work through over time. And so, uh, interesting enough, he works through them with um, the daily offices of the Jesus prayers, two main, oh, wow. mo- main modalities of, of of how he cultivates the presence. Can you hand that? I'm sure. Take a picture of that. It's a quiet mind. What? A quiet yes. mind. Right. But this is a big thing, so I'm belaboring it because we're in the middle of, of talking about the spiritual life, is people do not want to embrace themselves. They want to, they want to push the parts they don't like away. And you can never, that, that will, it, your, your, your reaction to that will sneak out yeah. other places and compulsive yes. behaviors and things yes. because you're running from how you feel about something. And so that's what contemplatively we have to learn to sit with ourselves. That's why a lot of people have great difficult contemplative prayer. They have to sit in silence and some noise. <laughs> and, and we have to begin to... And it's, it's a, I, the thing I would say about this, too, is um, befriending the darker uh, thoughts we have um, should be practiced gently and gradually. Um, you don't want to, you know, you, you, you have to learn to embrace. And because the other thing, we talked about this a little bit, the other thing that comes up with this, the dark thoughts, is when the emotions that are triggered by those sort of parts of ourselves, they usually are social experiences. Mm-hmm. Parts are like implicit memories that have an emotional content. And when, when we face them and we experience them, uh, w- w- they trigger a secondary emotion called shame which says, I'm bad, because we blame ourselves for whatever it is that happened intrinsically. And that's something we have to really work through, and therefore we push it back away again. Can't, can't deal with that. And again, notice the, the point here. G, uh, God could sit with King David. Because when David walks out of Jerusalem, running from Absalom, his sins are forgiven. Nathan said so. He's living in relationship with God in his suffering. God's not afraid of hanging out with the murderer and adulterer. So in our framework of prayer, we have to learn that God can, Christ can sit with us. We have to, be, we have to gradually get accustomed to that, 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 that he, he can be with us in that space. And that's why prayer has to embrace those things ourselves in order to move outward. Um, and experience that, that deeper kind of healing. And um, that will be the fuel, too. And a lot of frustration for people having Christian behavior is because not dealing with those things, it always leaks out, and they can't conquer it by willpower. Mm-hmm. You can't conquer a disordered, uh, an unintegrated emotional, a disintegrated emotional self with willpower. It will... Um, it's in, interestingly enough um, we, we, we talk about something called family systems theory in our classes there, what I'm talking about with this language of parts comes from something called internal family systems theory um, but uh, one of the things that Fried, Edwin Friedman a, a family systems theory writer a quote, one of the quotes that's just with me he says uh, about families, he says the Emotional processes of a family have the power to override its religious values. That, I think, also applies for internal system of experiences and parts. Mm-hmm. The emotional processes of our interior life have the power to override our, our cognitively held religious orientation. And this is what gets people frustrated. I believe in this. And we run, you know, and, and it like didn't behave. That's not what I, I didn't want to do that. Because you can't conquer a disordered emotional process with an idea. You can only conquer it by healing it 
and embracing it and integrating it into yourself so you're a whole person and you can sit with Christ and now you don't have to. The impulse will, it's a, it's a protracted battle. Hope that makes sense. such an important point, Bishop Scarlett. I'm so glad you said that because I think, I think that that's where a lot of Christians struggle because their their needs are greater than their their values, and so they they end up falling because because of that. So I think that's really really good. Well, and notice too that gets back to the point you had the Psalm, right? Not despairing mm-hmm. as you. Struggle and fall and struggle and fall mm-hmm. and come back. We have to learn that that's pro- part of the process of mm-hmm. growth in grace mm-hmm. because there's going to be that shame voice that now you're bad. Right. And so you have two things if you're, if you're going to accept that voice is one, you got to not deal with any of your stuff or you got to run away from God or you can just avoid it all the time. But you won't be able to. One last quote, and then we'll go back to the Psalm um, 314. Sometimes I write down these Bible verses and I go, and it's like, that's not the verse. I wrote it down wrong. And I'm like, oh, no. So, Second uh, Peter 314. Um, Therefore, beloved, look forward to those things. Be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. Now, without spot and blameless will mean, I think for us, I'm open and honest about my known sins and asking for grace to change. And as much as lies within me, I'm trying, I'm acting out in love. I'm trying to manifest my experience in love. We're not justified by the doing of that. The doing of that is the evidence that we're living in a relationship with God and are justified. Let's go back to Psalm and finish our Psalm 7 today. Well, I think one of the things that's so difficult about doing what you're saying is that the world doesn't want the world wants you to present a different face. Yeah. It doesn't want to face its stuff, so it, right. it doesn't right. want you to face right. yours either. Sure. Exactly. It wants to pretend that we can solve this thing, just a few quick fixes, and we get this mm-hmm. done. Right. And that's sort of the, mm-hmm. the failed yeah. enterprise of the world. Yeah, and hurry is. up and do that. <laughs> that's, that's part of the system. Yeah, that gets going in families and in societies. Like if one person uh, starts dealing with their shame and lives in the light, it throws a monkey wrench in everybody else's. Right. They're like, no, no, get back in line, yeah, do the right. dance. That's a, no, that's that's right. Yeah. Well, that's why. That's why. That's why doing that and staying with us is the best way to have your influence on your family. Any system mm-hmm. is by becoming healthy yourself and staying with it. Mm-hmm. All right, verse uh, 6. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up because of the rage of my enemies. Rise up for me to the judgment you have commanded. So, we feel some kind of oppression in our struggle to to do the to to be you know live in this light of this and rise up we're, we're waiting for the time that that's gone i i do think that um one of the things i you know, think how will the world to come be really markedly different i think all the imp- when all the impulse and influence was gone that there's just something in the air that calls it the prince of the power of the air. There's something in the air of this world that just isn't yet peace. Mm-hmm. But when it's finally and fully vanished, it'll be like, you know, when you play, when you're a kid, you didn't realize that you had to lock the door because mm-hmm. you didn't think you needed to because mm-hmm. life was just safe until you realized it wasn't. It'll always just be 
So that's why we want the judgment. We want evil fully and finally vanquished. What's that? I said good luck with that. <laughs> good luck. What do you mean? <laughs> to vanish all evil. Well, if, if that's, I think that's what we, we believe will happen when, when our Lord comes. But when he says, no, when he says, he, but again, right, lift up yourself because of the rage of my enemies. Rise up for me into the judgment you have commanded. He shall come again with glory to judge. That is ultimately the judgment, which in terms of its verdict on us is anticipated by us experientially through our prayer in the present moment by faith. We are vindicated, even though we're still experiencing turmoil. Verse 7, so the congregation of the people shall surround you. For their sake, therefore, return on high. The Lord shall judge the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to my integrity within me. Again, that sounds like Christ, and it, but in as much as we're living in him, we share in that. And I think a main thing here, too, I think that we have trouble with culturally is that we tend to, so much of the idea of justification has been legal versus relational. And I think biblically, justification is seen much more relationally. And you think about this yourself, like who do you show favor towards? Those who you're like in a good relationship with. There's no offense against it. It doesn't mean they never did anything, right. but it probably meant that you had a conversation and worked it out. Okay, whoever. We're together. We're justified. And the difference is of, of, of not being in relationship is there's something about the connection of me and you that severs us, that you're unwilling to deal with. It's not like, it, we just think it's so legalistically, okay, you, you know, you, you, we're, we're walking in relation with God, and, and the fear is like the gospel last Sunday, the guy got a wedding garment, yeah. that we'll be in this good relationship, <laughs> and that last day is, is my, I remember the line my friend Bishop Gehinner in the sermon had, the fear that, you know, at the last minute be bounced into hell on a technicality. You know, I thought it was all great, like, oh, oh, you remember that thing way back when you're dragging yeah. out, you know, and, but relationally, that's not how that works, if you think about it. If you're living in relationship with someone, you're not <clears throat> looking to dredge up the thing that's way back there that's bad, that's most shameful to them. You want to, you, you put that away because, and that's, I think when we think about this, that's how God justifies us. We live in relationship with him. He's covered our sins. He doesn't want to drag it out. Unless we hold on to it. Then he has to drag it out so we can deal with it and get and, and beyond it. Oh, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just. For the righteous God tests the hearts and minds. My defense is of God who saves the upright in heart. So, this quintessentially is a psalmist asking God to judge, which assumes, therefore, that he himself, we ourselves, will not. We will practice the behavior of walking the way of the cross. It doesn't mean we're not upset. It doesn't mean we have, we have no right. To, we do we have absolute right to say that's the wrong thing to do, but therefore I'm going to beat the crap out of you now. <laughs> Whoops. So, so walking in that, but waiting for God to judge. And that's, that's, that's the posture of the psalmist. It's the posture of Job. I want you to plead, I'm waiting for you to come. And that's, and remember at the end of Job, Job was told he's right after he, that, that's, and we do want we do want what's wrong punished. We also, in a gospel sense, want those who are doing wrong to come to the knowledge of right. So our judgment, we're not condemning them. We'll say, don't do that. You can't do that. There's a boundary around that. But it's not, we don't, we're not looking to highlight sin to, in order to condemn people. We're looking, the highlighting of sin is in order to have them forgiven. Which is the, the, the really only reason that, that, that God the Holy Spirit will bring sins to our mind is so we can deal with them. 
sometimes the devil will bring them to our mind and we have to remember that sin has been forgiven. That's a temptation to feel. Um, God is a just judge and God is angry with the wicked every day. Well, God's angry. We talked about the wrath of God last time. It's not a temper tantrum. It's his just opposition to those who say, who will not do what God, you know, the way, who will not live in accordance with the way God has ordered the world. If he does not turn back, he will sharpen his sword. He will bend his bow and make it ready. So if he does not turn back, that implies the ability to repent. And that's the message of repentance, repent. Because a day is coming when this will be recompensed. That's the entire framework of the gospel. Why should you repent? Because there comes a time when all that's being done wrong will be righted. And you want to turn away from it and, and, and be on the part of those who are vindicated. He prepares for himself the instruments of death. He makes his arrows into fiery shafts. This is the idea of God as a warrior coming to conquer evil. It comes up in the, uh, honestly, in the in Revelation, Jesus mm -hmm. on a white horse, the sword of the spirit, the word of all those things that... Uh, right arm. What's that? And the right arm. The right arm, yeah. The right arm. Behold, the wicked brings forth iniquity. Yes, he conceives trouble and brings forth falsehood. He made a pit and dug it out and has fallen into the ditch which he made. His trouble shall return upon his own head and his violent dealing shall come on his own crown. And that's something that, that, that it takes faith for us to be patient. And this is why we don't repay um, evil with evil. It's going to patiently wait for God. And you see it over time. You know, that you have short periods of prospering of evil, but it always comes back around. And he closes with, he, he, so he's, he's, he's kind of worked his way in prayer through um, the oppression, the holding on to his innocence in the midst of the temptation, the praying that God will make this right, the awareness that those who are doing wicked, that a trap is being set for them and they will be judged ultimately. And then verse 17, I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord most high. And when we praise God that way, we pray, we praise him because we've all already experienced it to some degree, but also because by faith we know it's all going to work out this way. So the future verdict and justice is we all we know will come to pass. And that's how, that's what gives us our security in the world. We're connected to a God of order. We can trust to take care of this, so we can just focus on what we're what we're called to do in our life and gifts. We'll stop there. Let's pray. Lord, bless us and keep us. The Lord, make His face to shine upon us. Be gracious unto us. The Lord, lift up His countenance upon us. Give us peace this day and forevermore. Amen. Amen. So, Good with you all. Verse 17 is like the anti-despair. Yeah. It's like the opposite of uh, what Satan is trying to convince us of. I think that's right. I think I think the Psalms often do this. They shift from from petition and uh, you know despair or not despair, but but but, but the, the anguish about the wickedness you see around into praise, and it doesn't do it with uh, oh now I understand. It just kind of sometimes shifts. Um, it's even like Psalm twenty two, that great penitential psalm, which we'll get to uh, maybe sometime in two years, <laughs> but, um, uh, where, where it suddenly shifts to our praise the Lord because he, he is he is. Um, and, and I, I think there's something also about this that's significant that why these psalms are so powerful is moving into the point of praise. It's not just, we're not just working through this intellectually. Mm -hmm. We're actually considering, you know, our, our sort of visceral existential experience of life. We're asking for God's help. Um, we're, we're experiencing the grace to continue on. We're, and then as we live in relationship with God, we're aware, oh, I see it, the wisdom to understand the way things really are. 
and then the grace to praise God because we've experienced his goodness you know, in some way. It's not, therefore, it's not an intellectual treatise. It's an experiential, a map of experience of how we get to praise the cross. All right. And almost all of the psalms end with praise and thanksgiving? Almost all, but not invariably. Some of them, um, like... nasty song against the Edomites uh, about little children and stones. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there, are, there are some that there are yeah, some that do not. Thank you so much. Thank, thank Look thank forward to celebrating you tonight. Katie, hey, good to have you with us even though we didn't see you. <laughs> <laughs> there, there they are. Yes. Yeah. Me, good to see you. Yeah, Robert and Benny. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, so people have to take some home. Let me turn that. No.